Baby, don't hurt me. Don't hurt me. No more. Hey, better? Okay. <laughs> I thought we were going to start the show, but you were singing. Have we not? <laughs> the show starts in a very set way. <laughs> we have 15 minutes, Ben. We have very limited time. <laughs> Baby hurt me. I don't believe in cold opens. I think sitcoms should have their themes and then they should be in the show. And I was really happy when How I Met Your Mother did that. And I was really angry when it stopped. Right. So are we going or are we stopping? Should I stay or should I go now? So eventually we're going to stop doing this. We're going to imagine the music being cut in later by me. And then I'm going to say... Welcome to the Psychomedia Podcast. I am Timothy Swan. And I am Rolf Garbjörnesson, son of Rolf the Stormsong, son of Ulf the One-Eye, last of the Stormbjorn clan. And I'm here to discuss the funny side of psychology. It's amazing how few of the people who turn up on this show actually have any relation to or knowledge of psychology. <laughs> Many of whom coming from before the science was really developed. Or imaginary lands. That too, that too, and one of them was a goat. <laughs> one or more of them, yeah. I haven't, I haven't been keeping up the goat count. Anyway, uh, we carry on in year three with um, feedback, and oh, it's a good, one. it's a doozy but, this oh, week. I must say, if you don't care about feedback, listen on anyway to this one, because it is worth listening to, even if no other feedback ever is. Uh, psychology will still be at 15 minutes time, but this is epic. Here we so, go. So uh, just before, to give a, a little context, I'm going to read the comment that preceded this particular piece of feedback. It is from Charles, who is now king of backfeeders. He writes, year three, hooray. Congratulations on reaching this developmental milestone. I look forward to seeing you develop the concept of object permanence and eventually mastering the, conversa the conservation of matter. Apparently, I haven't mastered the conservation of conversation at this stage, so that could be a problem. <laughs> he then writes, my introduction to psychology students made this video for you and links to a YouTube video. He says... I, it, I believe, helps them learn the proper attitude towards interpreting correlational data. And this, in audio form, is the video. Correlation does not imply causation. Post-hot echocopter hot. If you imply cosmic correlation, you will get run over by a bus. I Hi, Press Gang Canadian Psychology students. Thank you psychology so much. Psychology 100. Poor, poor, poor children. That is probably the coolest thing that has ever happened to me. And yeah, it looks it's pretty up there. <laughs> so I will read my response to Charles. Charles, just as through writing this song, I appear to have made at least one Canadian deeply uncomfortable front row left-hand side. Look at the video. He really doesn't want to be there. You have, through posting this video, made one Englishman feel all warm and fuzzy inside. Thank you. This is probably the coolest thing that has ever happened. Or, as I now see it, that has every happened. 
<laughs> that old writing's a bit of a bugbear as well. <laughs> Your linguistic skills are terrible. Mm. Or they're fine. Um, so, yeah. And people really did like that video when you posted it on your Facebook, didn't they, Ben? It's Everyone was really excited. <laughs> uh, whereas, le less so on me posting it. It's almost as if I'm posting self-aggrandizing stuff all the time. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, well, I'm, I'm very modest, you see. Yeah, I, I genuinely think you are. And uh, I've trying to been trying to break this habit in you for ages. It's kind of the point of the feedback section is for people to, if at least sometimes, point out how great you are. <laughs> um, you know, you wrote the song, Christine sung the song. I had nothing to do with it. Um, but it still makes me really excited to hear. When you, when you did link this video, I was, you know, Christine was on the sofa reading and I just like hooted in surprise and joy. But she well, yeah. was... In in the middle of a game of Plants vs. Zombies, so I had to just sit there bouncing excitedly until she was ready to come over and look at it. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I did not get it on the WordPress, um, although I do have the WordPress app on my phone. It did come up a little bit later, but I got it sent on Twitter by um, Charles's wife, <laughs> friend, <laughs> partner, um, significant other, who uh, tweeted it to me, and I was kind of jumping about my flat in... Yeah. enjoy having watched that on my phone um so yeah it was really nice uh, if any oh, I, I mean if any of if any of charles's students do listen to this podcast i know he has said that he's recommended it in the past i just we've had full disclosure them. psychomedia does not endorse that recommendation of psychomedia as a learning aid but we're very pleased to have you listening if any of you are in that video i assume you're probably the ones who are smiling um yeah, there's some Special people who thank look you like to they're you. really enjoying it. Uh, <laughs> and that's some. Um, <laughs> some less so. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, we've had some just nice feedback for our second anniversary, um, you know, from Amanda and uh, Alexandra, who said everyone should listen to uh, Tim and Ben's wonderful Psychomedia podcast, um, which is nice and Again, yeah. And uh, a random, I say randomish person, I was explaining to Ben how I kind of hoard out the podcast to this particular person, but he gave me some feedback. Alexander Nominus is what he calls himself, or also Quendus. Uh, said, that's a nice podcast you have there. Would be a shame if any not psychologists were to guest on it. Um, <laughs> mostly because I... Way ahead of you there. <laughs> in neuroscience, uh, and thus wants to get on. Yeah, but, I... I he was probably when he made that comment. He was probably thinking of neuroscientists, but I think we've we've somewhat one up, preemptively one upped him there with a cartoonist, <laughs> not a cartoonist, a comic book artist. Cartoon, yeah, they probably. I mean, like some of them like being called cartoonists, but it doesn't seem quite right for David Lloyd, does it? No, not so much. Um, and a physicist comedian, I guess. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, so we are we are thinking about guests for the future, but we're just really disorganized. <laughs> That's basically it. I mean, if any of you want to guest, uh, we can recommend a very good way of getting on as a guest is to have a large group of semi-reluctant people sing a song that we wrote. <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to say, ask. Ask if you have a decent enough reason uh, or a psychology topic that you know something about. I will actually no no that's not true I'm going to say overthinking it set that you have to have read every article and listened to every podcast in order to guest on the show as a listener and you or reader to, that was the you, you have to have listened to between zero and one podcast 
<laughs> so I was just going to say, you have to have listened to like some of the worst episodes around episode kind of 17, 18, 19 and still carried on through. <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, uh, Ben, we've had, I mean, it's brilliant feedback. We're going to put the video in the show notes. Watch the video. Look at the students' faces. That's enough to keep you occupied for about half an hour. Um, <laughs> but also, Ben, what move? What move? Well, uh, the team move this week for me... <laughs> uh, is once again role playing unfortunately uh in in all honesty that is the thing what has been occupying the majority of my brain this week i have a uh, bit of a sad face at this point because i feel you like do. so much uh so we this is the first time that i've been a player rather than a dm which is very exciting one of the guys from D and dark heresy uh we've switched to the new rule set uh the new like D next rule set and he he took up the mantle of dming i have to say he's doing a fantastic job uh does he do voices ben he does they're not necessarily his one of his stronger points although i think the ones he did were very good he doesn't do them as much as i do but then again he is also doing completely self like self-generated a self-written adventure whereas i was always working on you know uh pre-written stuff as a kind of warm-up but he just dove dove straight in there and that's amazing how much time does he have on his hands uh i think he has a long commute okay Um, right that would explain it but uh yeah so uh, apparently so he was talking to me about this he's been digesting uh a lot of the articles on i think it's called the angry dm it's a a dming blog and uh it's a lot of kind of you know ways to make your game awesome how to do encounter design how to pace things and it is it is really well he has put together you know a really well done thing and his maybe his uh his usp is sound effects and background ambient sounds which i would not have predicted to be effective but really worked very well he had kind of like background jungle noises and then in the final climactic confrontation he had stirring music which, right. given that the final climactic confrontation was us crossing like a 300-meter rope bridge above a echoing chasmic gorge, whilst armored guys with axes were running towards the other end along the opposite side of the uh, the opposite gorge side, kind of running towards their end of the bridge, whilst two of our party ran along the bridge to try and head them off, and. Me and Christina stood on the middle of the bridge with me holding on to Christina's dwarf hunter who was shooting at the enemies with her longbow at like long range of like 200 meters, trying to take them out before they could chop the bridge. It was amazing. Right. She she managed to make the first shot and kill the first guy like straight out. And then it was like, they were getting closer to the end and she was taking more shots and not all of them were hitting and some of them were hitting and she'd hit him a little bit, but he was still going and he was nearly at the bridge and we had to kill him or he'd chop us and we'd all die. And it was brilliant. It sounds fun. I am going to appear at some point. Um, We're not quite sure how. (laughs) Well, I've been talking to the DM about this, but unfortunately I I can't make the next uh, session. Uh, Mm. I thought I could. And then the date had to change. Um, But uh, 
and I'm going to be not resurrecting literally, uh, but uh, bringing back my old character um, because I like the jokes associated with her, uh, essentially. And I want to have taken her through, you know, like five years or ten years of kind of harrowing adventure so that she's going to be a developed character because that's the sort of thing that I was going to say turns me on. But again, why do I keep using sexual metaphors for non-sexual things? <laughs> It'll actually... Uh, it's the opposite of innuendo. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's cool. Anyway, what move for you, Tim? What, uh, what move? Well, this is my normal state. The Bristol-based band who I sort of befriended um, due to my dedication to them, despite not living in Bristol, have finally released their debut album on uh, Bandcamp, and it's really good. Like, it is their sound, but there's no one else with a sound quite like theirs, and it's amazing. Strings, ethereal vocals, post-rock guitars, kind of looping effect pedalsy bits, it's all there. It's brilliant. It's called Hidden Worlds. I will put a link in the show notes. Um, and uh, yeah, I so I kind of went around yesterday wearing the This Is My Normal State t-shirt and listening to the music i also completed my quest i may have mentioned this a couple of weeks ago uh to find the castle where i went and stayed in tinmouth as a child uh ah. with my brother we he visited we went and found the castle it was kind of a long walk across a bridge that was much further away and longer than we thought but we did find it we did take a photo in front of it uh i don't know if i'll have the photo for the show notes yet but yes yeah, that's pretty complete. exciting uh, mm-hmm. essentially so yeah those were my two things I've kind of rushed them because I felt like we were under pressure of time but once again we've reached right. a point of being like well, well you know what we didn't do what is didn't we do? didn't say what the subject of the show was at the top of the show which means obviously since we have one minute thirty seconds left we have to start all over again say what <laughs> you've just got to play the song again that's the most important bit then. <laughs> uh, so the topic this week chosen by Tim is uh brain training why did you choose the topic uh well because i was going to explain at the start of my thing essentially i uh, started watching hulu to try and increase the legality of the tv i watch uh now i don't yes i know i've changed oh (laughs) yes that noise And, um. <laughs> um, yeah, so in my attempt to make my TV watching somewhat more legal, uh, I've been exposed to uh, American adverts, one of which was for brain training. And uh, obviously the thing about Hulu is you watch the same adverts all the time. And the brain training one, there's just something in it that niggles me. Um, <laughs> it just kind of gets to me. Uh, essentially, it's about all of that thing. Whenever something is it's based on science it's scientifically proven and you're watching an advert i don't know about you ben but i just kind of go uh, yeah mm, i mean I, really I don't, I don't make that noise but it, it does irk me deeply yeah especially hair ones or teeth ones, oh right where it's like <laughs> liquid calcium it's just like <laughs> that would destroy your mouth <laughs> and uh, uh, this one isn't as bad but it is oh that's the sound stop okay quick right well psychology psychology. brain training so yeah as i say um (laughs) just carry on the disadvantage of watching hulu is twofold you've got american adverts and frequently repeated adverts american adverts are problematic because they give you new people to be ashamed of uh like alec baldwin for doing capital one adverts i just kind of really pretend that he's jack donaghy 
advertising Capital One, and it's just a character. It's just a character selling out totally, um, and that makes it a bit better. The other thing that's bad about them being American adverts is they offer you things that you can never have, like Red <laughs> Lobster's Unlimited Shrimp. I want that infinite shrimp. I don't that, understand oh, how no biologically it works. But I know that there's whole layers of shrimpy things being the loudest thing on earth in the ocean. I want to eat them. You um, don't want unlimited shrimp. Have you smelt off shrimp? Uh, my sense of smell is really bad. Um, and also, no, I don't think I have. Okay, well, I would, I would caution against it. I don't think, they, some I don't think they sell you like off shrimp at Red Lobster, but I can't attest. Well, no, they sell you regular shrimp. But if you have infinite shrimp, you're not going to be... You can't, like statistically mathematically you can't eat infinite shrimp i suppose if there's infinite shrimp it fills up the universe yeah exactly <laughs> it's the dark matter of the universe turns out it's shrimp <laughs> yeah and it's just these seafood restaurants and vegas casinos where they're slowly <laughs> trying to redress the balance between dark matter and real matter because um, it is Think what like i was going to say 80 percent but it's i think that's dark energy that's 80 percent uh i don't know how much of matter in the universe is dark anyway for as for repeated adverts there is one for this one called lumosity it's a brain training website it says that thing that sets the alarm bells ringing it's based on neuroscience yeah green zone <laughs> so is it so is everything that any human has ever done <laughs> okay yes that's true i was just going for the based on a true story thing which always you know we look at it and we go it's based on a true story I watched the fourth Pirates of the Caribbean film recently, and it says suggested by a novel, which I think is the best <laughs> one. That is, that is tangential in the extreme. By, I can't remember who the novel was by. Um, but yeah, Green Zone, for example, based on a true story, according to Wikipedia. But I don't remember a special forces guy proving that the weapons were a lie and then everyone kind of got revenge for the Iraq thing. Um, so yeah, there's lots. There was really no better example on the based on a true story page. It was all just like, yeah, it's pretty factual, pretty factual, pretty factual. Green zone. I guess I'm going to have to use that for my weak joke. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I thought there's lots of claims about things being based in science that probably don't actually end up ever end up being based in science, um, but they can still say that because advertising standards are terrible. But what is the real story? So that's what I want to address this episode. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to start with Nucci et al. I don't know how to pronounce that. It is a Japanese name. Uh, they look very specifically at uh, train braining on the elderly and their cognitive functions. Um, and, you know, I think there's some questions to address. Is, in my day, a hippocampally specific function? Is <laughs> uncritically reading the Daily Mail something that can be alleviated by improving cognitive skills? And is this article going to fulfil at least one Japanese stereotype? <laughs> well... I've got the murderous death robot bingo card out and ready to go. <laughs> uh, not quite, but it is about scientifically studying a game made by Nintendo. Now, I don't think <laughs> Nucci... Hey, mine too! Really? How amazing. Yeah. Nintendo actually... <laughs> episode. <laughs> this episode sponsored by Nintendo. So, yes, is your paper going to be... Send us your Wii. <laughs> oh. Still funny. <laughs> I, I uh, yeah. Um, I don't know if uh, your your papers may be going to be uh, Zelda's impact on uh, time and music perception. Uh, <laughs> is it going to be Mario's effect on intracranial trauma and the neurophysiology changes uh, that are um, impacted by psychoactive fungi? Uh, Metroid's correlation with gender identity. Uh, uh, Star the... Fox's tendency to upset oh, people's vestibular system. 
<laughs> Still going. That's the um, last one. <laughs> okay. I was going to say on the first one, like, uh, do you lo- I love that bit in that game where you play, you play the musical instrument and then you appear, you know, the Ocarina of Tim. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it really ruined a lot of people's childhoods. <laughs> Not least of all yours. <laughs> I was very busy when the N64, you know, came out. Ocarina <laughs> Having to prop up in a kind of 3D model version, um, the rendering was not really that great. Hair was different. <laughs> I've, I've never thought that your rendering has been all that great. <laughs> <laughs> I feel sad, but it's true. Can't deny <laughs> limitations of the technology. I'm too are too amazing for 64-bit. Clarabelle was nothing if not a graphical glitch. <laughs> uh, exactly. Yeah, it was like uh, you know when you go over the. Kind we did of some anti-aliasing on that thing. Wow, this is getting niche. <laughs> we should move on. <laughs> yeah, if you turn the LOD right down, it's just like a kind of circle that's vaguely brown. <laughs> uh, like so... most first-person shooters these days. Hey oh. Um. So yeah, no. And Nuchia Al are focusing in on brain age. Um. What they do know already is that cognitive training can help older people, and that these games, such as Brain Age and Big Brain Academy and um, whatever the other one was called, are supposedly cognitive training video games. But does it actually work? So, you have to test cognitive functions after someone's played a brain training game. And, to separate this effect from the awesome joyousness of video games in general, you need an active control playing a different game. And being staunch Nintendo loyalists, they went for Tetris. And they had them play the game 15 minutes a day, five days a week, for four weeks, and then conducted a battery of tests. They did it as a double-blind procedure, describing it to participants only as comparing two training programmes, and not telling those later doing the cognitive tests which of the groups did which game, and indeed who was in which group. The participants were all right-handed, Japanese-speaking non-gamers, who were not worried about their memory, and not on any cognitive-affecting drugs. And they make sure that the participants didn't have any secret dementia by doing the mini mental state examination, which uh, I can assure you, uh, for non-institutionalised people of average intelligence and education, is a good quick way of doing that. But I could tell you lots and lots about why it's not useful in a schizophrenic inpatient setting, because I had to actually do that for my job. Um, Sorry, I'm just excited this week that finally something's come up. It's like a test that I've actually, like, I've researched the use of this in a professional capacity. This is such a new feeling. Um, I feel so validated. Exactly. It's weird. It, is it bad that you feel validated when your your hobby stupid podcast runs up against something, but maybe less so? I don't know. You probably do feel validated when your very important and valuable job leads you to do something surely it should be the other way around oh yeah it should be but it's not it's like today in my job i did something which i have previously looked into for my stupid useless podcast (laughs) stop talking down the podcast (laughs) i'd feel the need to redress the balance someone sang a song for us You think our standards are going to be pretty high for the things that actually like we accept from our listeners from now on. <laughs> Cake or nothing. Uh, I think you're going to end up with the nothing that is the oblivion of death. <laughs> the nothing that is the absence of cake. Anyway, sorry, oh, I'm derailing cake. a lot. <laughs> yes, you are. It's almost as if you've got some strange desire to string out the show. <laughs> <laughs> Come to that later. 
Um, so yeah, uh, they also made sure that these participants had at least low normal IQ and no obvious frontal issues. And I'm aware that when I say that, that's processing in the frontal lobes. That's not just for issues that are on the front of the body. And it's not a metaphor for breasts. <laughs> uh, I was going to say, we've come back to the what move section. <laughs> exactly. I do have frontal issues. No one should see my chest. Um, so there was a bit of a fall off of participants. Now, I'm going to be honest. When I originally wrote that, I wrote a fallout and I deleted it really quickly. About a quarter of those initially recruited declined to complete the, complete the study. Perhaps when they heard that involved these newfangled video games uh, that, or they just much preferred Nintendo when it was a playing card company. And a couple dropped out from each group whilst doing it. Uh, from the control group, because of Tetris-inspired neurosis, a common obsessional illness that arises from playing too much Tetris, often results in destructive property rearrangement. Whereas those in the brain age group reached a brain age of zero and promptly transcended to the womb sphere universe. Ben, what do you think might be at the uh, middle of the womb sphere universe? Uh, a womb? The placenta! <laughs> oh, no, I, I should ah, I got that wrong. I meant to say womb 101. <laughs> yeah, okay. That's good. I think yours is better. Incidentally, you know that, that joke you just made about, like, Tetris syndrome? Uh, yeah. You know it's an actual thing, right? Yeah, no, I know it's an actual thing, but it doesn't ever end up with people actually destroying their houses in order to create rows of blocks. Tim, you're ending Yet. up in, an, in a Zoltzman-esque situation where the truth of the interesting truths in your center, in your statements are masked by the stupid lies. <laughs> yeah. And people, people may genuinely want to know that there is a thing called the Tetris effect or Tetris syndrome, which occurs when you play too much Tetris. Yes, I think it also applies to other kind of things like Guitar Hero. Um, yeah. Anything with the kind of... It's about the perceptual thing going on and on over and over again in that kind of constant way. Uh, I was going to yeah. do a different Tetris fact later, um, so we'll come back to that. Do you know any other Tetris facts? Um, I know that it can be used to uh, alleviate the effects yep. of post-traumatic stress disorder. Yep. That's the one I was going to come back to. Okay, sure. I actually... I. Um, fought over uh, testing room bookings with someone running that study. Okay, yeah, well, I almost I almost did that study uh, when I was at... Anyway, we'll come back to that in... Come on, <laughs> two secs, two secs. We've got to stick to the way I've written it, else I'll just completely lose my... Um... Flow. Oh, yeah, that was it. <laughs> so, the uh, better randomly... better say it. <laughs> what, why? Why would that be better? <laughs> Get on with it! <laughs> Um, so the randomly allocated groups didn't differ in any neurophysiological or demographic variables, and each day they played 15 minutes of games on a Nintendo DS that they were given in order to do the study. They did have to do it to give it back. It wasn't just like the best rewarded study ever. Um, and they reported their scores on the games, which is an interesting thing to chart that I probably wouldn't have thought of, if only to avoid doing extra data entry and analyses. <laughs> Brain Age has games that are thought to activate the dorsolateral prefrontal cortex, basically uh, mental arithmetic and simple verbal questions. I'm always kind of stunned that people ever paid uh, full price to get these on their DSs. I mean, what's wrong with Puzzler magazine? I mean, apart from the centerfolds. Does and again, there was going to be a reflection at this point that in the future we're going to have to explain what centerfolds are. And then I was like, wait, I didn't know what centerfolds are. I've never bought a Playboy magazine. Why? Why is that a thing that I'm thinking? Oh. When I have kids, I'm going to have to explain what a centerfold is. It's like, one, no, I wouldn't even if that was a thing that I had to explain. And two, <laughs> it's not even from my cultural context. I'm nostalgic about, like, 70s Playboy. Where did I that think, come from? 
the idea of having to explain what a centerfold is in the modern internet age is pretty tame, given the other things that you might have to explain. <laughs> Daddy, what is two girls, one cup? Oh, yeah, I suppose I hadn't thought of that. But now I've <laughs> thought of that. Continue. And my answer to that is, uh, little Billy, I'm afraid <laughs> that I'm going to have to remove your brain chip. You're grounded. Uh, poor little Billy Swan. <laughs> I would never call a child Billy. Anyway, let's not talk about like naming children or anything, because that's creepy and wrong. Uh, it's probably more creepy and wrong to ask what you'd call a child. <laughs> because I imagine uh, that would be a more proximal occurrence. Oh, but I see. Just, right. It's not because I would give it a weirder name. No, no. Although I, <laughs> I'm expecting like tear. tear <laughs> yeah. um, Nothing it, wrong with calling a young child Ragnar. <laughs> Oh, and uh, especially as it is, you know, Fell is a good surname for the Viking first names. Yeah. Anyway, good. anyway, um, you're going to double barrel? Anyway, um, so uh, naturally. <laughs> because Fluffle is definitely the better. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this episode is going to be very self-indulgent. Um <laughs> So, yeah, naturally, because this is a scientific article, they also explain exactly how Tetris works. But our audience doesn't need that. Previous studies have shown that Tetris doesn't have transfer effects to anything that isn't Tetris. Uh, if anything, <laughs> it takes over your brain and pushes out all the other cognitive functions. And, yeah. of course, we've mentioned in the past and indeed in the last minute or so uh, research by Emily Holmes at Oxford. Uh, that uh, found that it prevents the encoding of traumatic memories. And having read some of the detail of that paper prior to maybe working in her lab, the traumatic stimuli were really, really horrible things. They were like, you've been framed with the gore left in. Mm. Uh, but anyway, Tetris can save you from that recurring in your head, but it doesn't train your brain. So once they'd finished their training in the Elite Academy of Nintendo DS, uh, they tested global cognitive status, executive function, including the trail-making test, another one I'm going to learn how to do in my job, uh, attention and processing speed using tests from the WACE IQ test. So, because they don't really know what the differences between the participants are, they use a statistical test that takes into account the pretests and the demographic variables and uh, cancels out their contribution, just like what happens to grad students when a professor finishes writing a paper. Um, there we go that's a joke about Mancover who knew it was possible Uh, (laughs) they also shockingly report effect sizes effect sizes are really important because they give a sense of well the size of the effect the point is things can be significant due to the way statistics work especially if there's a high n uh, you know number of participants but it could be a really small effect and suddenly you can't just go, oh, well, I can explain this whole process because I got a significant result. It's like, but the effect size was tiny. It doesn't explain anything. And so they even actually set some boundaries of effect size to describe small, medium and large sized effects. Um, this was thrilling to me because we were taught to always include an effect size. And I think this is the first time in Psychomedia I can remember seeing one with an eta value in a paper. <laughs> Um, yeah. I was just like, why did I bother learning how to do these? How to report them? Uh, it makes you a better person. <laughs> yes, I suppose so. Just as in any kind of trial that is endured makes you a better person on the other side. Uh, so, yeah, before they started on the main stuff, they checked that the participants did actually improve at the computer games themselves. And they did. 
Now, they didn't find any ceiling effects, which if they took a longitudinal approach, they surely would. Mm. I've reached a point where I'm not going to get any better at first-person shooters. And it is actually pretty much due to executive function, specifically disinhibition. I can't be bothered to wait and hide and cover. I just want to go out and <laughs> shoot and hope it works out. And this is why I loved playing as a Krogan in Mass Effect 3. Just running around, <laughs> hitting things with hammers and shotguns and not dying easily. Very much my playstyle. Um, yeah. You see, I, I, and, uh, I was thinking, what was the height of my gaming career, as it were? I thought I was pretty good at Unreal Tournament. Um, although I never really played human players, so maybe I because wasn't it, good. But that's the thing, I those, those are games... Those are games with a higher skill ceiling, you know, that the old fast paced PC first person shooters, that is pure like motor skill, whereas modern shooters are like twitching and yeah, sitting for a very long time in one place. Yeah, if a game doesn't actively promote running about and jumping with a rocket launcher, it's <laughs> not a friend of mine. <laughs> Exactly. I mean, as a shooter, obviously there are other games that are great in different genres, but yeah. Anyway, anyway <laughs> for the main results, the brain training group was significantly better on executive functioning tests with a medium effect size, uh, symbol search, which is part of processing speed with a medium effect size, and digit symbol coding, which is another part of processing speed, with a large effect size. So while not every measure of cognition showed improvement, executive function and processing speed did, and with a good effect size. And these are two areas that apparently decline with age and are related to success on the skills of daily living. And no wonder they're the aspects that I do badly on when tested, and why my cooking, cleaning and self-care is haphazard. <laughs> so... <laughs> What is the process by which this is happening? Well, Nucci et al. suggest that it might be that brain games that rely on certain brain areas improve all tasks reliant on that area, even if the tasks are quite different. And given that tasks in the brain training game are known to recruit the prefrontal cortex, which is also responsible for executive function and process speed, this hypothesis gets some support from this study. Additionally, combining various tasks may be more effective than one single task. Brain Age had a variety of admittedly quite similar games, but Tetris is unchanging for all way. A novelty, however, cannot explain the effect because video games were completely new to everyone in the study. They do accept the limitations of their findings, which any company that then cites this research to sell brain training is not going to do. It's not staving off dementia, it didn't improve memory, and didn't show any actual improvement on day-to-day -day skills because they didn't measure it, though the tests that they did use are supposed to relate to those skills, as I say. Essentially, there's a lot more to do, but it's quite a promising start, at least in the elderly. Hmm. So, what were our on video games, uh, Ben? Yeah, exactly. That, that actually does transition quite nicely. Um, so the study I'm going to talk about today is called Boom! Exclamation mark Headshot! Effect of Video Gameplay and Controller Type on Firing Aim and Accuracy. So, it is about brain training, because you're using video games to improve accuracy. Except it basically isn't. It's about violence, video games. Uh, sorry, again. Well, that's, uh, that's back in the news again. Uh, and I don't know if anyone saw the Dean Burnett article that uh, claims that violence uh, in video games causes violence. Causes violence. <laughs> well, so, I think someone needs to study this. Uh, I think you need to do a study where you look at the effects of reading badly conducted studies into the effects of violent video games on players of violent video games. 
levels of aggression. And I bet you would find a bigger increase in levels of aggression after reading one of these articles than you would after playing the video game itself. Uh, that yeah. is ba- well, based that's on... the serious science version of the article. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, it's the old violence of video games topic again. Uh, now, full disclosure, this article is written by researcher Brad Bushman uh, and his grad student, Jody Whitaker. Brad Bushman's previous work falls squarely into the video games bad camp. Uh, to illustrate this, I will post in the show notes, if I remember, an article called The Effects of Violent Video Games, Do They Affect Our Behaviour? Um, but I'm not going dis- to, uh, which you can then read to get a sense of kind of where he's coming from on the whole topic. Uh, but I'm not going to discuss it here because it will make me annoyed. And this study is going to do that anyway. So the study itself, uh, the article's introduction and indeed most of the article, the way it's written, seems to follow a kind of bait and switch writing style where a you get it recurs again and again. You get this like a seemingly positive statement about video games immediately followed up by a negative one, which somehow makes the whole thing seem even more terrifying. For example, the first line in the abstract reads, video games are excellent training tools. Ah, well, that sounds good. I like training is good. Training, you can train to be better at things. Uh, Excellent. Video games must be nice then. But wait, what's this? Line two. Some writers have called violent video games murder simulators. Oh, no. Murder is bad. (laughs) And wait, wait, if games can train people and they also simulate murder... Maybe they're training people to murder. Quick, ban the games, ban them. Is that a game? Ban it! Quick, before you shoot someone. Uh, sorry. Uh, got a little away from myself there. I think I'm probably descending into name-calling and facetiousness, and frank, it's only the second line of the study. Uh, henceforth, I shall endeavour to remain calm and collected. Let's see what the article actually has to say. So... It begins with some stats about how video games are a uh, you know, multi-billion dollar industry, how they often contain violence, and how this has in recent years become cause for some concern, which is great. True. All, all this is true. Uh, it then continues thus. A critical debate is whether playing violent video games can train people to more accurately and lethally fire a gun, a real gun. Is it? I mean, I I thought the critical question was whether violent video games made you more likely to be violent in real real life. I mean, if they don't make you more violent, surely it doesn't matter whether they make you more accurate. And if they do make you more violent, then you've presumably got bigger problems than the level of accuracy with which that violence is perpetrated. I mean, I suppose if you had if I had to choose, I'd probably prefer my deranged gunman to be accurate rather than accurate. But then again. I don't know how accurate you need to be with an M16. I guess I haven't played enough Call of Duty to find out. Anyway, let's say... I was going to say, I mean, but the anecdotal thing is, I've played a lot of video games. I'm a rubbish shot. Yeah. You know, a few times I've tried little kind of shooting range or whatever, that sort of thing. Not a real one with a real gun, but, you know, that sort of thing. Air rifle or whatever. Laser rifle. As as I mentioned uh, in the dispatch from america i recently fired a 12 gauge shotgun for the first time in my life and i can say without fear of contradiction that playing quake with the shotgun has in no way prepared me for that experience uh but then again 
this study may actually produce some interesting results to that effect. Um, okay, yes. Let's see. Continue. So, let's say for the sake of argument that it is important to know whether violent games improve your real-life accuracy. For the purposes of you know this podcast, let's say it is interesting to find out whether the skills in a first-person shooter can transfer to the real-life equivalent skills. That's kind of the reasonable hedge. Yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> conducting some, <laughs> because it's a reasonable hedge we're conducting some you know hypothesis topiary there uh, you know as I say it's interesting at least from a brain training standpoint um, anyway so theoretically speaking what why might games make us better at shooting um, you know we've already mentioned that games are effective teaching tools thanks to their thanks to their interactivity and instant feedback. And the article gives examples of how games have been used to teach people how to fly planes, to improve hand-eye coordination, visuospatial memory. Uh, they improve the manual skills of surgeons and they aid recovery for patients receiving, receiving physical therapy, which, gosh, that all sounds rather wonderful. Maybe games may be a force for good after all. Oh, no, wait a sec. Most relevant to the present research, the US military uses violent video games to train soldiers. Got me with the old <laughs> bait and switch again, guys, once again. Um, although, apparently, I hear that's not the only thing they use to train soldiers. They have this crazy new strategy called shooting with real guns that is meant to be nearly as good as playing violent video games when it comes to accuracy. Uh, yeah, sorry, the snark is strong with me today. Um, so, to the article. Bushman proposes three main theoretical pillars for his argument. First, operant conditioning, which I'm pretty sure we must have covered at some point uh, in the podcast before. Bushman states, operant conditioning developed by behaviorists such as Edward Thorndike and B.F. Skinner proposes that people are more likely to repeat behaviors that have been rewarded and are less likely to repeat behaviors that have been punished. Good point. Video games sure do include a lot of reinforcement and reward. Um, you know, points, killstreaks and the like. Bushman points out that in some games, players are also rewarded through verbal praise by seeing or hearing words such as nice shot or impressive after killing an enemy, which is true. But I feel he is missing out on the possibility of using the phrase monster in his study uh, or indeed headshot. Have you uh, ever used the female announcer voice pack on Unreal Tournament or uh, Quake? Usually when given the choice between male and female, I tend to choose female, so it's quite possible. I think you'd remember if you had. I didn't download any of the, uh, any of the sound files because they're basically auditory pornography. Uh, right, okay, and not like... No, that's, that, that's the good kind of auditory pornography. <laughs> uh, well, as in it has no artistic value and yet still strangely brings pleasure. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Anyway, um, sorry, that is deeply tangential. Uh, you see, now I want to listen to them during the show. Why would you do that? Just out of curiosity. I'd just like to highlight out of curiosity. Well, you can put them in the show notes. Anyway, so that is true. Video games do provide an awful lot of rewards for killing and violence. But here's the thing. B.F. Skinner, who you name-dropped, had a few other things to say about operant conditioning, and one of those things was that it happens in context. 
Like, for example, if you learn to pull off a wicked sick 360 no-scope headshot in your bedroom whilst foul-mouthed teachers scream at you through a headset, that provides a context for your actions. So even if you happen to be a free-will-devoid behaviorist system of stimulus and response, you're still unlikely to produce that same conditioned behavior anywhere other than in your bedroom, on your Xbox, or your PlayStation, or your Nintendo Wii, sponsors of Psychomedia. You know, where, you know, in your bedroom where the availability and potential harm of real firearms is probably significantly limited. So, operant conditioning may be relevant, I think, maybe less than the authors make out. Anyway, next up, Bushman thinks that social learning theory might play a role. Basically, the idea that players of video games identify with the characters that they play and will therefore be inclined to imitate them. Uh, specifically in first-person shooters, where you are literally seeing the world through your character's eyes, uh, you are likely to want to imitate that world filled with violence and exploding heads. Uh, in this section... I spend a lot of time trying to be Guybrush Threepwood. <laughs> a lot of time. So, uh, yeah, you know, in this section, Bushman gives multiple examples of experimental research that clearly links identification with a character and facilitation of learning behaviours enacted by that character. And by gives multiple examples of experimental research, I, of course, mean says that it could happen whilst providing nothing but tangentially related references. Huh. Wasn't overly convinced by that one. Uh, so, you know, there were three, three reasons. What was the third? The third process... And the one which is actually tested by the subsequent study in some form is the mechanistic transfer effect. That is the idea that, in Bushman's words, greater transfer of skills and behaviours learned in video games should occur if the controller used to play the game is more realistic. Players should be more adept at firing a gun if they play a shooting game with a gun-shaped controller instead of a standard controller. Now, that's actually kind of interesting. That's talking about the kind of proximity between the training behavior and the, you know, result behavior, the real life behavior in terms of its kind of dimensions and how that can have effect. So that's, you know, back to brain training. Um, It's also intimating that light guns are more likely to cause, you know, gun violence than Xboxes, which is good because light guns aren't very uh, common, I guess. Um, Anyway, to the study. Uh, In order to test the hypothesis that violent video games increase players' accuracy with real guns, Whitaker and Bushman conducted the following experiment. Participants were randomly assigned to play a violent shooting game with humanoid targets. We'll come back to that later. Wherein extra points were given for headshots. And a a non-violent... So one condition was the violent shooting game with humanoid targets. One was a non-violent shooting game with bullseye targets. Uh, there was also a non-violent, non-shooting game. Participants in the shooting game condition, so either the violent or the non-violent one, used either a pistol-shaped controller or a standard Wii, U, Wii controller. Um, all these were done on the Wii to continue the trend of Nintendo uh, endorsements. So after playing the game for 20 minutes, participants shot 16, in quotes, bullets from a realistic gun at a life-sized human-shaped mannequin. So, some specifics. The non-violent shooting game with bullseye targets was Wii Play, which seems reasonably accurate as a description. The non-violent, non-shooting game was Super Mario Galaxy, which is an accurate description if you disregard violence against turtles. Uh, The violent shooting game with realistic humanoid targets was Resident Evil 4, 
which is an accurate description if you consider multi-armed mutated zombies to re- be realistic humanoid targets. Um, I'm going to include pictures in the show notes to help you decide whether that is an accurate description. I think um, what we're seeing here is that once again, a psychological experiment falling foul of the zombie confound. <laughs> How many times? When will the end? When will it end? The inhumanity. Uh, anyway, also the in quotes realistic gun was an airsoft pistol, uh, but Bushman assures the reader that it has the same weight, texture, and firing recoil of a real nine millimeter semi-automatic pistol, and basically we have to take their word at that. Um, so, to the results. Uh, participants who played the violent game using the gun-shaped controller scored significantly more headshots on the mannequin than any other group. They also scored more non-headshots than players of the non-violent games. Um, something which the authors don't note. So, I mean, that is pretty much a confirmation, at least of the of some kind of interaction between the violence of the level of the game and the controller used to play the game, although uh, specifically because of the non-headshot scores with the violent stuff, um, the fact that the non-violent shooting game didn't reward headshots in any way, you know, plays into it quite a lot. Something which the authors don't note is that players of the non-violent shooting game short scored significantly more headshots than players of the non-violent game. So violence alone is not required to produce the uh, lethal behaviour, shall we call it. But it could be an additive effect, I suppose. Yes, absolutely. It certainly could be. Um, But, you know, it is important to point out. Anyway, unfortunately, I can't say anything about pure accuracy uh, or effect sizes uh, because they didn't report any pure accuracy statistics or any effect sizes uh, or very many statistics at all really they give uh, the uh, a gr- they give the uh, manover kind of results and statistics which is nice uh, but they don't give the statistics the breakdown of the effects but anyway like it's it's not the best it's not too bad um, they also report a couple of correlation effects because they also uh, took a questionnaire of participants uh, like endorsement of guns, attitudes towards guns, uh, whether they habitually played violent video games and whether they'd had any training with real firearms. Interestingly, uh, they found that training on real firearms didn't have any effect on the like accuracy scores or, the, or really the number of headshots and non-headshots. Um, what they did find was that Participants who reported more that more of their favorite games were violent shooting video games were more likely to score more headshots and more body shots in general. So the whole idea of the headshot training does seem to be fairly robust. So what can we conclude from all this? I think it is pretty interesting. They kind of do support this idea. Firstly, that, you know, the the comparability between playing lots of games that uh, reward you for headshots means that you're more likely to produce headshots in a shooting task Um, seems at least kind of robust and also this idea of mechanistic transfer that using a gun like controller transfers more of the skills across 
to using a, in quotes, real gun. Uh, which is kind of cool. I mean, in terms of this is a purely brain training type, type scenario, you're saying that the specific task requirements transfer very well and that yeah. the, you know, the, the similarity in the dimensions of the two tasks also improves transfer. Um, I mean, none of anything in that study has anything to do with either operant conditioning or social learning. Well, I suppose the headshot thing kind of is to do with uh, operant conditioning because it's like reward. Um, they got more points. I suppose points are inherently rewarding. Yeah, I mean, especially I, for gamers. I don't actually know whether Resident Evil 4 does give you more points for headshots, but it, it is the optimal way to play the game. because it's I mean, yeah, most modern games don't seem to have points. No. It feels like when we were growing up, points was a big deal in games and yeah. now it's much less the case except on like the steam indie store with all the roguelikes and stuff but anyway uh, yeah but yeah, those are like modern iterations of games from our childhood yeah so maybe the headshot thing is to do with operant conditioning that's kind of cool um although to be throwing around terms like operant conditioning i feel like they kind of need to be introducing more like proper operant conditioning style paradigms with like extinction and proper control conditions and stuff like that but anyway uh it doesn't as far as i can tell have anything to do with social learning in fact earlier in the study they argued that first person shooters are going to be more influential than third person shooters because uh of kind of inhabiting the character and as far as i know risen evil 4 is a third person shooter but anyway i'm not sure about that uh who knows they don't really test it uh it is also a pity that they don't report the pure accuracy statistics, but, you know, overall, the kind of brain training effects are interesting. And let's finish with some credit to the authors in their final concluding paragraph, a bit like in your study where the authors point out that this, they, their results do not say that this is a, the brain training is kind of a cure for dementia or anything like that. These are uh, Bushman and Whitaker say in their final paragraph. This experiment demonstrates how interactive media such as video games can affect learning and behavior. Playing a violent first-person shooting game for only 20 minutes increased accuracy in shooting a realistic gun, especially at the head. It is important to note that our results do not indicate that a person who plays violent shooter games is more likely to fire a real gun at a person. Playing the violent shooter game facilitates the learning of shooting behavior, but does not make it more likely that the player would actually fire a real gun. Good. Awesome. That is a very important point to make. I mean, they only make it one in one sentence right at the end of the article, but the important thing is it is a point, and they did make it. So we can all go home happy. Uh, <laughs> wait, a, wait a second. Hang on, hang on. Oh, I missed a bit. Sorry. The actual final sentences of the that follow that, these results indicate that if such a person were to fire a gun, he or she would fire more accurately and be more likely to aim for the head. These results indicate that the, the powerful potential of video games to teach or increase skills, including potentially lethal weapon use. There's that old bait and switch again, because <laughs> the problem with that sentence right there is the phrase lethal weapon use, because tell me, Mr. Brad Bushman, sorry, Professor Brad Bushman, what aspect of your study involves lethal weapon use? Because your participants don't use a weapon lethally. They don't even use a lethal weapon. The problem with the study is not its results, or even most of the interpretation of its results. 
it's the subtext of the phrasing of the interpretation of the results. What the study says is training on one task is more likely to improve performance on another task, particularly if the parameters of the two tasks are similar. What the article is trying extremely hard to imply is that violent video games train people to be assassins, which they don't. The thing is, if someone happened to make a video game that explicitly said it was going to train you to be an actual assassin, they would make an absolute bomb, figuratively and probably literally. <laughs> and, of course, when you get right down to it, Charles, play us out. So, uh, Whitaker and Bushman, your bus is on its way. <laughs> uh, can I can I make a critique from a slightly different angle? Sure. I don't think in any of the instances of violence in the media, you know, mass shootings or whatever, that get tied to uh, video games. Have those gamers ever been playing Wii games? Or light gun games? Ever. No. Yeah, or, you know, it's not like there's the time crisis massacres, you know? So that that's, yeah, this is what... It upsets and enrages me about this study is that they are they skirt so closely to saying to making those claims but they they don't they are careful not to ever say anything like you know playing this violent video game improved accuracy and improving accuracy is going to make you shoot people kind of thing they don't they they explicitly don't say that but they're the the vibe the entirely non-scientific mojo that i'm getting from this is it's speaking to people who want to hear that you know violent video games are bad uh and like you know if if that is your point if the idea that one of the bad aspects of violent shooting video games is that training you to be more likely to shoot at the head then the just like ah doesn't make any sense the number of video games that get played using gun like controllers is minuscule and the the level of realism and overlap between games which do actually you know the games that are people playing is so minimal anyway anyway rant 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 uh yeah end of study but it's interesting right. for brain training it, it makes a valid point about brain training about like comparability of dimensions being an important component of it yes well yes well maybe i will take that back to the sort of brain training that you think of when you hear brain training but on a very similar point about specificity um so yeah the question of transfer really is the important one as we see you know okay so the accuracy of the headshots increases but is that going to transfer to behavior in our first study okay so your ability on these kind of executive functioning things has gone up is that actually going to preserve your memory and make sure that you can keep on doing daily life tasks in old age no one does brain training to be good at little puzzles uh, they do it because they want to stay sharp which is what the blasted luminosity advert says while doodling animated glasses on the woman's face Glasses are a sign of biological decline, not improvement. Or <laughs> hipsterism, which is a sign of cognitive and emotional decline. They do it because they fear dementia. They do it because they want to be better than the people around them and didn't have the quirk of being born that way. 
So Owen et al. 2010 wanted to get into the detail of the transfer stuff, and they needed power, statistical power. And so Unlimited they... power. <laughs> Good, I'm glad you did that. Achieve. Well, well, very large. The M- Palpatine like... <laughs> needed very large sample size. <laughs> <laughs> At that point, he'd, like, he'd only killed one Jedi. I guess... I guess that's what the cloning was all about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, imagine the N you get from, you know, however many, like, five million identical units. Um, yeah. Um, it's a stupid bit for him to say unlimited power at that point. He's like, okay, so he's defeated one of the most important Jedi, and not really defeated him, but has manipulated events such that he's managed to kill him off. Um and then it's just like unlimited power. It's like this line makes no sense. It has no context. Quite limited power. It doesn't have the same ring to it, though, does it? <laughs> I nearly just got killed, and it was mostly luck that I survived. Power oh. based mostly on the acquiescence of one moody teenager who will probably turn on me in exactly the same way in <laughs> three films time. Anyway, Star Wars. I've talked about Star Wars a day. Let's not. Um, Although that no. should be our, our next podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, as in a sp- not spin-off show, but a different show. Or Psychomedia talks about Star Wars. Uh, either and or. Okay, well, we'll talk about that after the show. Um, so, yeah, uh, they did not turn to the power of the dark side of the force. They turned to the BBC. Uh, so they got 12,000 viewers of popular science show Bang Goes the Theory, uh, famous for confusing stone students who want to watch the Big Bang Theory, to participate <laughs> in a six-week online study of brain training. They started by benchmarking the participants' ability using tasks, tasks uh, that is South African for tasks and tests, of <laughs> grammatical reasoning, verbal short-term me- memory, spatial working memory, and paired associate learning. So grammatical reasoning involved answering whether statements about a picture of a square and a circle were correct. Verbal short-term memory was the digit span task where you're remembering numbers in order. Spatial working memory involved clicking on boxes to find a star, and a star would be never be hidden in the same box twice, as it were. Uh, paired associate learning had a variety of objects shown behind various windows, and at the end you were shown the object and had to pick the correct window. You remember all the times you had to do that one for, you know, in real life, where you've got, like, this wall of microwaves, and one of them contains a ready meal that's in date, and the rest contains Uh agitated bees, all of which are beeping. (laughs) You've got to remember the right window, else you get covered in bees. Don't talk about ready meals. Oh, sorry, I forget that you, for some reason, never eat before the podcast. (laughs) I didn't even drink before the podcast this time. That usually tides me over have a liquid dinner so so weird i ate about two hours before doing the show because i eat at like regular times of day (laughs) (laughs) i do not continue uh so yeah the participants were split into three groups the first did training during the six-week period that focused on reasoning planning and problem solving things like what objects heaviest which is the old one out move these crates break these rocks on the chain gang uh, only the latter is made up but it was sounding like all of these surprisingly physical sounding tasks Uh, The second did a different sort of brain training, focusing on memory, attention, maths, and vicious spatial processing, such as spotting the right jigsaw piece or matching targets quickly. Vicious spatial processing was that. Visio spatial (laughs) processing. 
I prefer vicious. <laughs> well, I suppose it's spotting people who you're going to shoot in the head, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, so the control group were asked obscure general knowledge questions from six categories. The categories were population, history, duration, pop music, miscellaneous numbers, and distance. Some of which are easier to imagine questions for than others. <laughs> I don't think it's going to be the new version of Trivial Pursuit, you know, the six cheeses, anytime soon. Is that... Um, is that- miscellaneous number question <laughs> i don't know because it's not maths because it's obscure general knowledge i have no idea they don't give examples apart what from... is three? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah just it's like uh, and if you talk about plato then you win um <laughs> that's my version of trivial pursuit <laughs> sit around and whoever mentions like a specific philosopher first and you have to pick in advance in your head which is it going to be it's the cross between trivial pursuit and mornington crescent <laughs> I'd play that game. <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, what happened to individuals' performances? Everyone showed significant performance improvements on all the tasks, apart from the second group on verbal short-term memory. But as we'd mentioned previously, the effect sizes are more important, especially when a sample size is this big. Significance is so easy to achieve with a big sample size. And there is a crude sexual metaphor about sample size. And, you know, I can't be bothered to hash it out. The effect <laughs> sizes were small, apart from the specific test that had been trained, even though they were all related tasks. So group one improved on grammatical reasoning and group two on the rest of the tasks at this higher effect size level. The number of training sessions didn't have an impact, but there were on average about 25 training sessions, so plenty enough to see an effect. And there was no transfer of training. So this is unlikely to be due to using the wrong sort of tasks, because this was a range of tasks that tap frontal and parietal functioning, and they're sensitive to very subtle declines in cognition, so they should be sensitive to subtle improvements. So they give an example of how tiny this level of improvement was. On the digit span test, those in group two, the memory training group, showed an improvement on tests over a six-week training period of 0.03 digits, meaning that it would take four years of regular training, presuming that it continued linearly, to improve by one digit. And again, an analogy to me doing physical training is pretty clear here. <laughs> so, essentially, brain trainers, when tested on a large adult sample, do not seem useful or effective. I can't say much more than that because the study was not a very detailed one. It was written really dryly. But mm. their conclusions are important. You know, they've got this huge evidence base, really, for saying they don't have an impact beyond the task itself, really. Yeah. Hmm. So I think we should draw some conclusions because there's actually a possibility of synthesis and um, <laughs> debate and I listened recently to the episode where we discovered that our conclusions section was so uh, exciting and valued for our listeners. <laughs> well, maybe brain training only works in old age or children where there's this kind of cognitive shortfall and you're filling it up by kind of doing these tasks. Uh, the evidence is clearly quite contradictory, but generalizability, even when found, is limited. So, you know, the shooting task, it generalized to shooting. Mm. The brain training, okay, it generalized to executive function, but, you know, kind of dorsolaterally tasks. Uh, and, you know, in the other one, it's like reasoning and memory tasks sometimes didn't even train the related task. So it's clearly highly limited. And I think the companies seem to make a lot of claims um, that are, you know, um, fear-mongering and profiteering and i know that's what companies do but when it's claimed to be based on psychology and neuroscience obviously that's something we get angry about yeah i'd allow me to 
indulge in some crass armchair neuroscience for a moment. Of course. I mean, a, a consistent thing which comes up whenever you talk about kind of uh, neuropsychological capabilities is the importance not of like making your hippocampus swell to an unusual size, but of improving the connectivity between different areas, many of which will be involved in the same task. You know, we don't... Sure. No, the, it's quite a... It's a, an unrealistic image of how the brain works to say this is the area that does this and this is the area that does this and they're all in isolation it's more uh, it's networks of areas uh that kind of work together so it wouldn't it would kind of make sense that if you want to see you know actual significant improvements in cognitive faculties which are necessarily going to involve multiple different brain areas and can lots of different connections that rather than playing you know a, a working memory game or uh, like an attention game you need to be doing you know lots and lots and lots of different kinds of brain activities yeah consistently together and relatedly over a long time to get to get any kind of improvement one might argue but that's difficult to market yeah one i mean might... you just need i mean you're saying essentially something like you should play professor layton well, I was going to say, yeah, you need some kind of multimedia experience that includes instant feedback on a number of dimensions and includes complex systems that require, you know, multiple different kinds of uh, processing, different cognitive functions, manual and manual dexterity, cognitive t systems, that kind of thing. Uh, maybe video games. Yeah, but not just any video games. No, like, I sure. could see that's where you're going, like, but... Like uh, maybe StarCraft, that game where you kill hundreds upon hundreds of units every time you play. <laughs> yeah, I see strategy games. <laughs> getting an agenda across or something. <laughs> I'm uh, trying no. to be reasonable. I'm trying. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think I mentioned it before, but they there is a, a group, I think it, based in Australia, who are now using StarCraft as like the replacement for chess as their index of genius. Wow. Um, uh, because it's much easier to code than chess okay you just download the statistics from BattleNet and then you've got it but yeah anyway is south korea now the most intelligent nation in the world well tim what is intelligence <laughs> well if it's starcraft scores then yes there's a cultural <laughs> bias that's what i'm saying <laughs> turns out the cultural bias just shifted somewhat to the east wow that that was some that was some solid psychology you just dropped there I, I think that's a good point to leave it. That was a that was a thoughtful, intelligent, and reasoned conclusion. Excellent. Well, some might argue. If you want to accuse me of being racist by assuming that South Koreans are indeed good at StarCraft when I don't have the statistics in front of me, um, then you can contact the show, uh, facebook.com slash psychomedia. Uh, psychomedia.wordpress.com for show notes, pictures of zombies, possibly quake sound effects. I have a question, Tim. Why did last week's show notes contain a picture of uh, Olivia uh, uh, Williams? Olivia Williams. No, there was a reference showing a lot of thigh. And some there was there was a reference in <laughs> there was a reference in the show um, when I was talking about uh, people's attractiveness. And I suggested as paragons of attractiveness, Ryan Gosling and Olivia Williams. Yeah, but uh, OK, so that like there are lots of pictures like promo shots of Olivia Williams. Why did you have to pick one where she's showing her ass? 
<laughs> and if you were going to do because that, it was, why wasn't it under the red button? Because I pointed out I was going to put this under the red button and then I couldn't be bothered to sort out the coding. <laughs> I like that it's had this impact on you. I was just surprised. It didn't seem like the sort of thing that you would put in the show notes. <laughs> I'm full of surprises. We may have been together for One two of them years, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I keep it in a jack-in-a-box. <laughs> uh, right, yeah. So, uh, WordPress. There may be buttocks. There may be other things. Uh, uh, also, some other places you can contact us. Um, psychomediapodcast at gmail.com and at Team Psychomedia on Twitter. Those are the main ways they tend to do. Uh, yeah, uh, so contact us. Uh, until next week, uh, have lots of fun. Don't go on any rampage. Otherwise, it would kind of undermine everything that I've said. Uh, yeah, that'll do. I don't know. I think we're getting better at this. If we if we keep up, up the way our way we're going, Tim, we're going to be unstoppable. I've been doing this podcast training game on my Nintendo DS. So, you know, I'm brilliant. (laughs) Exactly. Anyway, bye for now. Bye-bye. Get better in your brain with Psychomedia Brain Training. Your brain may not be a muscle, but there's no evidence saying making it lift weights won't make it bigger. And bigger brains are better brains, if you compare inter rather than intraspecies. Make yourself slightly better than a monkey or a pig. All you need is one introductory session of cranial opening to get started. Then you can try your brain on our painted weights, resistance training, treadmill and cross trainer at your leisure. A mental gym, wrote the judge in our corporate manslaughter case. Blood, sweat and tears will all spew from your nose. But that just means it's working. Psychomedia brain training, now available at the introductory price of 6 to the power 7 minus £33 per month. And if you find out working out that price challenging, then you need to sign up or you will lose your memory spontaneously tomorrow and never recognise the faces of anyone you loved ever again. Psychomedia brain training. That is what the adverts are like, and that's why I'm angry, and that's why this episode...